Grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text is the Gospel reading we heard from John chapter 9. That's on page 78 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let thy bright beams arise. Dispel the sorrow from our minds, the darkness from our eyes. Amen. Have you ever noticed how many expressions in our everyday speech are to do with seeing and to do with being blind, to do with darkness and light? So the frustrated family member says, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's just so blind to what's right in front of him. He can't see what's happening. It's a blind spot, we say. And then on another occasion we say that we can't seem to see eye to eye on this one. But then finally we have a breakthrough with something and we say, ah, finally I see. So even in our everyday human experience we know that it's one thing to look with our eyes but it's another thing to truly see. And a similar dynamic is being played out in our Gospel reading today. Where a man blind from birth is given the gift of sight but it's only after that that Jesus leads him to really see. That is to see who Jesus is. But the tragic paradox by the end of the story is that the ones who thought they could see so well are really blind. There's three scenes in our Gospel reading today. The first scene is Jesus' encounter with the man and his healing. But even before that, notice how the story begins. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. So in this story, all about true blindness and sight, the first person who sees clearly is Jesus himself. We heard an echo of this in our Old Testament reading today that the Lord sees not as mortals see. And there's a contrast here in our story because when the disciples looked at this man, what did they see? They didn't see a poor man in need of compassion and help. They saw a theological test case, an example to bring up with their rabbi. Who sinned, Jesus, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now that's a question that many of us know well, don't we? When things go wrong in our lives or in the lives of others, we can be quick to ask, what did I do to deserve this? Or in the case of others, we can even be quick to judge, I bet they did do something to deserve this. If not them, it must have been the parents' fault. Our instinct as human beings is to look for somewhere to pin the blame. Even though we all know this is a joyless, fruitless exercise. 
So notice how Jesus gives them, he gives us an entirely different way of looking at suffering. He says, don't focus on what may or may not have led to this, but look for what God can do with it. Don't look at the cause, look to the purpose of God. Don't look back, look forward with God in the picture. So already we're noticing how Jesus sees the whole situation very differently from how we naturally see it. He needs to give us eyes to see. So from this initial question, Jesus goes on to show the very first way that God's works are revealed in this man's life, even in his suffering, which is to give him, miraculously, the gift of sight. Now just remember, this man was blind from birth. It's not that he could see, his eyes deteriorated and Jesus restored his sight. Blind from birth. This man had never seen a sunset. He had never seen the colours of the rainbow. He had never seen his parents' faces. And now Jesus opens his eyes to see for the first time in his life what an experience that must have been. And it's a strange way Jesus heals him, isn't it? Making mud out of the dust and the spit... I thought I could have a good children's talk there, but I left that one. Lathering the mud on the man's eyes, sending him to the pool to wash. What's going on here? Certainly one thing we see is that Jesus doesn't mind getting his hands dirty, does he? Quite seriously, we see a God who comes into our world in Jesus, not in a protective bubble, Jesus himself is pure and without sin, but that doesn't mean he walks around with white gloves and a hospital mask on. He puts his hands in the dirt. He puts his dirty hands on this man's face. Because we have a God who not only meets us up in the clouds or deep in our heart, but down in the dirt. Doesn't it remind you, by the way, of another time God reached down into the dirt in creation when he formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life? And here's the Son of God in human flesh through whom this whole world was created, who created this blind man from the dust. Now he is recreating him. Perhaps that's also why he sends him to the pool of Siloam. Because you might remember our friend Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus still sends us to a pool to be washed, doesn't he? So he can open our blind eyes to see That's the first scene in our Gospel reading. Now we move on to the next scene. And this is where the man's healing is investigated or shall we say interrogated by the Pharisees. So when the man is brought to the Pharisees, what do they see? 
Well, they're divided, aren't they? One group sees something in this sign. Maybe this Jesus is from God, but the other group can't see it. All they can see is a man born entirely in sin who has no place teaching them anything and all they can see in Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. A man who has no regard for God's law. In this whole incredible scene, that's what they see. And they had the scriptures. They knew that Isaiah had prophesied that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind would be opened. And yet when it's happening right in front of their face, they are blinded. Blinded by their own pride in keeping the law. But it's not just them, is it? It's amazing how blind we can be. Notice then in this scene, though, how some new characters come in. The poor man's parents get dragged into the whole interrogation. What do they see? Now, surely they saw that something miraculous had happened in their son's life, but they also saw the consequences of standing up to the religious leaders, didn't they? They could see what was probably coming. Maybe excommunication from a synagogue, social exclusion and isolation, who knows, maybe even threats to their livelihood. So their vision was clouded by fear. And I find the parents' presence in this story very interesting because they don't need to be there. What I mean is this story unfolds quite smoothly without their little cameo. But as I've read this with people during the week, there's something about the fear of these parents which resonates with us, isn't there? Perhaps especially in our time and place. Isn't it becoming increasingly the case in our society that standing up for what we believe is a fearful thing? There's been a couple of instances in the news just these past weeks where even the hint of someone or some company expressing Christian views of, say, marriage or sexuality is met with hostility, is met even with threats to careers. And so the temptation to fear in this sort of hostility is very real. We see it here in the parents. We still know it today. The contrast in the story is with their son. His is the simple, courageous witness that is our pattern to be encouraged into. I love how this man just speaks so plainly but boldly all the way through. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Now his honesty does lead to trouble in the short term, doesn't it? But that's not the end of the story. Jesus says, He who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And this brings us to the final scene for today. This is a truly wonderful story, but I think some of the most beautiful words here in the whole chapter come right down in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had driven him out 
and he found him. He found him. The good shepherd seeking out this lost sheep. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ that though this man was lost, now he's found. Though he was blind, now he sees. But what does he see? What is the true works of God in this man's life to be displayed? Recovery of physical sight is astonishing enough, but now this man receives something even greater. Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. You have seen him. You have seen him. He is the one talking to you. So the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Ultimately, the work of God in this man's life is that he is given the gift of sight so that he can truly see who Jesus is. So that Jesus could shine his true light into the darkness of his heart so that Jesus could give him the eyes of faith. Dear friends in Christ, left on your own, you are spiritually blind. Left on your own, you are a people walking in darkness. Left on our own, we cannot see the true depth of our sin and we cannot see the wonder of God's grace. And even for us who have been baptised in our own pool of Siloam, for us who have been given this gift of spiritual sight, we still find the darkness of sin clouding our vision time and time again, don't we? That's why we sing that hymn to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Dispel the sorrow from our minds, the darkness from our eyes. And not to acknowledge this natural blindness, that is the problem we are warned against in this text. That the worst kind of blindness of all is blindness to your own spiritual blindness, if you like. You know, in our country we're very lucky to have treatment for things like cataracts, aren't we? Amazing technology we have these days. But I'm not sure if you're aware that there is still one type of person with cataracts that they absolutely cannot treat. It's the person who says, nothing wrong with my eyesight. You've heard that before, haven't you? Even with the greatest doctor in the world, the greatest technology you can find, they cannot do a thing for you if you don't admit that you have a problem. Those who see themselves as healthy have no need of a physician. Those who think they see everything clearly have no need of the one who comes to bring true sight. And the great paradox, the tragedy at the end of this story is that the ones who think they see are in fact blind. The ones who condemned everyone else as sinners, on them sin remains. Left on your own, you are blind. But thanks be to God, he has not left you on your own. 
Thanks be to God, he has sent his son in whom was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. St. Paul says, once you were darkness, now in the Lord you are light. But to overcome that darkness, Jesus who is the light of the world needed to enter the darkness first. You remember that part of the story, don't you? Where from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness spread over the land on the cross. And as the light of God's presence faded from his view, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus went into the darkness for you so that you may be light in the Lord. Now, St. Paul says, live as children of the light. Now, let's finish today with a short story. Many of you would know the famous hymn writer Francis Jane Crosby. Crosby was prolific, writing more than 9,000 hymns and we have a few of them still today in our hymn book. Well, what was most amazing about Crosby is that she was blind. As an infant she had an eye infection and her doctor successfully got rid of the infection but left her blind for the rest of her life. One day a well-meaning preacher said to Crosby, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Crosby had heard these sort of comments before. And so she is reported to have said, Do you know if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. Even in her blindness, praise God, she was able to truly see. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.